we've got a new episode of Swings and Mishes coming up for almost 50 years. All year cooling has been the place that keeps all of South Florida cool. Listen, it is April, and then you know, living here in South Florida, summer is coming, and you do not want to wait to have your system checked. You do not want to wait to replace your unit. You know how this goes. It gets very hot here, basically from the end of April into May and all the way through the summer into the fall. To give you an idea, 10 years ago, I called Tommy Smith at All Year. He is the owner. He's been the owner, he and his family, for decades. And I purchased a new unit from them. And here we are, 10 years later, I've had absolutely zero issues, and they have the best customer service of any air conditioning company I've ever used. In fact, I think I may have called Tommy twice personally in 10 years. I needed some help. And within the hour, they're at my house. They show up very professional they do a great job and then i'm good to go for months and months and years they're incredible in fact if you schedule a new unit installed before the afternoon they will come and put a new unit in your house in the same day no one in south florida can guarantee that they offer up to 60 month financing and remember i personally use all year cooling and tommy has been a personal friend of mine for over 10 years you call him you let him know you want a cool unit in your house this summer don't wait till june till it breaks down you have to do it now call 866-381-3554 or while you're listening to this podcast take your phone out go to their website allyearcooling.com click on the call now button you'll get connected directly to them and by the way my friend the owner tommy smith you can text him directly from your phone from the website right now and he'll set you up all year cooling is my personal place to go they keep my home cool they keep my family cool for more than a decade the number again 866-381-3554 Hola y bienvenidos a otro episodio de Swings and Mishes. Soy su productor, Jeremy Taché, y estoy acompañado por su afintrión, Craig Mish. Y Craig, ¿cómo estás? Buenos días, Jeremy. <laughs> We're trying. As far as I'll go with it. That's yeah, okay. hey, look. I don't, I don't have my translator here with me here to be able to pull this off. I, did, I do want to say that through college and even high school, I did take spanish lessons and i feel like i can hold my own mm. but obviously the the tweeting i i do need some help on. <laughs> I mean, yeah I'm, I'm just being straight with you guys here like that's not all coming from me and my my ghost translator is not with me on a daily basis but <laughs> if they keep winning at this stage i'll have to hire him full time you know something like that well for those of you that don't understand why we just started in spanish uh craig before this five game winning streak from the marlins had decided he was going to start tweeting in spanish until the marlins scored a run as they had been shut out in back-to-back games and since then the offense has woken up at least a little bit more homers in the last five games than it felt like the rest of the year uh and, and over the last five games the marlins have swept the mets over the weekend uh they got two shutouts in that process uh, defensively, not uh, not offensively, uh, between an incredible start from Pablo Lopez. He he gave up just one hit uh, over seven innings pitch. They shut out the Mets. And the next day, Sandy Alcantara, complete game shutout, two hits, eight strikeouts. Uh, and now 
we thought, all right, at least a good weekend. And now the Marlins have gone on to beat the Tigers in the next two games. You got a combined ERA of 1.89 from the starters. You got seven homers in five games. There had only been one homer in May before that. Craig, this is an actual positive episode of Swings and Missions, talking about what is arguably the hottest team in baseball. Yeah, there's no negative on this podcast for the first time since we've started, probably. There's always, uh, th- there's always, <laughs> there's always ways you can find the positive and find the negative in stories. But with the way the team has played, we're going to do this podcast without any of that. There's, just, there's no need for it. And what, what, there is no negative to find. It, it, it's amazing. You look at it, and coming out of that Mets series, the narrative was basically, oh, the Mets are dogging it, they're not playing well, and, and the Marlins shouldn't be sweeping anyone. They go on the road, and they beat Detroit in the first two games, and then on Wednesday night, they're down 3 nothing and come back mm-hmm. and win 6-3. to three. Like, I, I wrote off that game on Wednesday night. I, I thought that that was a wrap. And they came back once they brought in their bullpen, Detroit's Buck Farmer. Look, we know Detroit is not a very good team. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But the Marlins were losing to everybody right before the middle of May here. So, uh, obviously, you have to be very impressed with what they've put together. The pitching has been lights out. Their bullpen has been much better. And I think that, at the very least, we could be looking at just a subpar team this year as opposed to a historically bad team, which is really important. And it's just kind of funny that we sat here last week and did a podcast on how, and I did a whole rant on just Mm -hmm. how bad things were and things needed to change. And then all of a sudden they did. I can't take responsibility for that. I mean, that's those guys inside that clubhouse, but they obviously feel more pride for what they're doing. There's no doubt the bats have woken up a little bit. We've seen home runs, from Harold Ramirez and also from Garrett Cooper. And both of them hit their first career home runs on back-to-back nights. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this momentum keeps going. I'm, I'm not sure that it will. I, I can't imagine they're going to win 15 games in a row or 11 in a row like they won in the spring. But this is the kind of season where you can live through it, where if they just roll off a few wins in a row every once in a while, even if they lose close to 100 or 100 games, it's okay. Like, you can, you can deal with these sort of things. Right. The problem was they hadn't gotten anywhere close to what they are, and their offense still is going to struggle for sure. But I, I do have to say that if you are a Marlins fan at this point, you have to really, really like what you're seeing because the recipe of the pitching and then finding some hitting is, has worked. And, and, I'm, and I'm super encouraged to see, by the way, Cooper hit that home run. I, I think that's the first of – and I'm not sure what Harold Ramirez is going to be. A lot of people with their team tell me, look, he's going to hit, so we'll have to see that. But Cooper is a guy that they have just tried so hard to see what he has. And I don't know that Coop is a 30 home run bat, but I think you give him 500 plate appearances in Marlins Park, he probably hits 20. Yep. And maybe we see that next year. But I think at least for now, that to me is a extremely positive sign. And of course, Austin Dean's up in the big leagues. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, hopefully this is a sign of things to come. I know that there are some Marlins fans who are going to be cynical about it and say, well, this is going to cost them the first pick in the draft. <laughs> and I understand that. Look, I understand that. Look, there, there's, there's merit to that. But there's also merit to trying to get people out, as I've talked about, to the ballpark. They still need to accomplish that. And if they end up with the second pick or the third pick as opposed to the first, and they're able to make some generate some revenue based on attendance, bringing people to the park to see this team play because they're playing well. I think that they would take that exchange because, as I mentioned, the biggest fallacy of them all 
is that they could just have this rebuild and nobody could care from their couch. People care. They need people to go to games. They need people to go to games now. They didn't make all these upgrades for people to not go and just say right. it's okay to lose. So uh, definitely, arguably, in years, the most positive sign that we've seen from the Miami Marlins. And that's kind of where we start this point. All right. Well, it literally is the longest win streak they've had in a few years. I mean, I think we date back to 2016 for the last time that they've won five in a row. I know last year at one point they did win four in a row. Uh, but I think the two things that you mentioned that that stick out to me that are the biggest positive signs. Number one, it's the thing we've talked about from the very beginning that we were hopeful with this team, which was the starting pitching, keeping them in games and scratching together just enough runs to win. And that's exactly what's happened. The pitching has been there all year for the, uh, you know, aside from a couple of games here and there, but to see them finally get run support that's necessary. And it's not like the Marlins are, are this offensive juggernaut right now, but they're scoring enough to win it and, and coming back in games. I think last night was the big one. And honestly, just to see Garrett Cooper hit that home run and the smile on his face after it's been such a long road for him to get back to this type of form to where he's confident in the batter's box and, you know, coming off of multiple injuries, uh, the injury last year, injuries this year, it, it was special to see the look on his face coming around the bases and, and that sense of sort of the monkey off your back of hitting that first big league home run. Um, but you mentioned Cooper and, and he's going to be the everyday right fielder, but the new look outfield right now, as it stands today, you have Austin Dean and Curtis Granderson as left fielders. You have Herrera and now Harold Ramirez as center fielders with Coop and Wright. What are your thoughts on the way that the outfield is made up, you know, in the construction of this roster right now? I, I think they've decided internally that they need – they obviously want to play good defense for their kids, for their pitchers. Mm -hmm. But I think internally they've made the conscious decision that it's time to – perhaps sacrifice a little bit of defense for a little bit of offense. You just can't be this historically bad all season long and keep worrying about your left fielder and your right fielder. And I think that once John Birdie went on the injured list earlier this week, I think that was probably the final blow to this mm -hmm. where they said, okay, look, it's time for us to just put some offense out there and see what we can do. And so what I was told is that the at least temporary solution and again, Birdie could come back at some point. I know that it's a 10-day injured list, but obliques are never 10 days. So okay. I, would, I would not assume to see him soon. And of course, Peter O'Brien's still on the injured list too. But I think that what you're going to see is against left-handed pitching, Austin Dean is going to play left. And I think that Curtis Granderson will also continue to play left field. But let's be honest with Grandy, up until recently, it's been a struggle almost for two months of the season. And what he brings yeah. to the team is obviously incredible. But at the same time, he hasn't uh, produced as, as well as he has over the course of his career. So we'll see if that continues or we'll see if he picks it up. But you'll be looking at Dean in left with Granderson. In center field, Harold Ramirez, who I did not think would play center field at all for this team, is getting an opportunity to do it. And so far, so good. He hasn't really had to make any outstanding or athletic plays yet. That will come and we'll judge it at that time. But Ramirez, who played very little in, in Venezuela in center field, really hasn't played extensively there in years, is going to get his chance to, and we'll see how that works out. But the other part of that is that Rosel Herrera will, in most likely scenarios, Jeremy, late in games will be his defensive replacement. So I, I, I would see most games Ramirez starting, and then after the sixth inning, if the team is up 
at any point. They would put in Herrera to play center. They've done that, by the way, the first two games in Detroit. And then Garrett Cooper will play right field. My guess is is that if they have six games in a week, he'll play five of them. Right. They'll, they'll in all likelihood give him maybe a, a day off more than a normal right fielder would just to you know, make sure he's healthy and keep him healthy. And then if that is indeed the case, you simply could move over Harold Ramirez to right field. If they're comfortable playing him in center, they have to be comfortable playing him in right, and then Herrera can start at center. And so that's kind of the way I think the outfield is going to shake out for now. At some point, John Birdie will come back. We'll see what kind of adjustments they make to that. This simply could be a multiple-week audition to see if, if Austin Dean plays well, and then they can decide what to do there. But I, I don't believe he's like going right back down to the minors. At least I don't think that is the case. And let's also not ignore the fact that at some point this summer, I think Lewis Brinson will be back. Right. And then late in the summer, and I think maybe August, would be a time where we could see Monte Harrison play for the Marlins. So these are all things that are still in play, but at least I wanted to give people the update directly as to what the outfield situation is going to look for. So again, to recap, it's a platoon in left field with Granderson and Dean. Center field is Ramirez, although I don't know in late inning situations that he would play center. I think Herrera would come in at that point to defensive replacement. And then, as you mentioned, Garrett Cooper. would. would I think he's at this point, the out of six days or seven days a week, he's the 80% right fielder for the Miami Marlins. And that's the way it shakes out right now. Yeah, I do love seeing Cooper getting the chance to play every day. And actually, hitting in the two-hole feels like the perfect spot for him in this modern baseball where you do need some power at right at the top of the lineup. It, it feels like he's really thriving there as a guy that doesn't strike out too much and then can provide some pop. Um, something interesting in terms of the roster construction. Um, last night, we saw Jose Ureña throw another gem and Sergio Romo is the one that closed it out. And you and I were talking about them, possibly the Marlins as a franchise field and possibly trade offers. And those are two names that could come up in conversation as the year goes along. And so they've been the names that everybody, I think sort of assumed on the pitching staff would be theoretically the first to be moved. Have you been hearing anything about Jose Urania and Sergio Romo and, and, and the possibility of the Marlins moving either, if not both of them? Yeah, the Marlins are, are currently talking to a lot of teams about both players, and they've been generating a ton of interest even this early on as we are in late May. And that's what I was told uh, yesterday. Urania, over his last seven games, his ERA is 2.80. And he's pulled off two wins. Of course, run support's going to be a big part of that. His whip is 1.24. So mm. Arania has been excellent for Miami. And a lot of teams are calling on him. You, you've seen a ton of injuries this season from various different clubs. Severino on the Yankees, Clevenger on the Indians. We, we've just had injury after injury. And I think that these teams in contention are probably gauging the Marlins to see what they would have to give up in order to get him. So that is a very big name that I do believe is, is going to be traded in the next two months, if not sooner. So there's been a lot of interest on him. And the other player that, that Miami is also fielding calls on is, is clearly Sergio Romo. Romo, who has kind of had a rocky start, I think you would, you would describe it as, the first yeah. month of the season. And, and, and he's kind of turned it around a little bit. It wouldn't shock me, by the way, to see the Rays dip back into Romo again hmm. and, and potentially even use him as the opener. Uh, Tampa Bay really has that uh, seventh, eighth, and ninth lockdown with the different guys that they use between Rowe and Castillo and Alvarado. 
but and Stanek is one of their openers, but Roma was a great opener for them. So it could be them, it could be Boston, it could be another team. But this is not just me speculating at this point on these two players. These two players are getting trade attention from a lot of other clubs, and it would behoove the Marlins, I think, rather than in, in some situations waiting to the trade deadline. There's some desperation always there when you get to July 31st. This is going to be a trade deadline, by the way, like we haven't seen in a number of years because there is no a, a non-waiver trade deadline after that in August. So it's, it's July 31st or bust. And I don't know how the organization feels about that. I'll probably have to dive into that at some point to say, uh, is the approach here to wait to see if there's desperation? Or do you feel that most teams will make trades before that and not take chances? We'll see. I would fully expect them to move Arena and move Romo before July 31st. To this point, I have not heard anything on Neil Walker, although he has been great for them. I would expect them moving him at some point, and then, of course, Curtis Granderson. The one thing that we can't rule out, and, and let's not put Arania in this one. I think they'd be looking for players. But the one thing that you can't rule out with all of these trades is the Marlins' attempt to acquire international bonus money. Right. And I think that what they did last year was work to a T. And in the offseason, trading Kyle Bearclaw, and that really turned into Victor Victor Mesa. We saw a report. I believe it was earlier this week, Mike Elias, the new general manager of the Baltimore Orioles, said that they have a, they're rolling out a brand-new international system in July, and they're going to spend more money than anybody else. More or less is what they said. Right. So there's going to be competition for that. And I would guess, Jeremy, that we will see the Marlins acquire uh, bonus money again and dip back into the international market again because it is essentially – pool money that no matter how much money they have if some team has more they can outbid them on these players that may be more important at this point right than getting a prospect back for Romo or even Granderson Walker may be a different situation and I don't think that they would just do a straight swap of money for uh, of pool money for Arania mm-hmm. but let's keep an eye on that because I do think that they value it and I think it's important so uh, next couple of months will be critical but summary here Marlins are currently engaged in talking to teams about Arania and Romo. They're getting a lot of trade asks on him, and we'll see if they end up moving him at some point this summer. Yeah, it will be interesting to see the way that those two guys work as they look to rebuild this organization. You know, one way that they're doing so is through trading for prospects and opening up some of that international pool money. But another way they're going to need to do that is through this upcoming MLB draft. And we've addressed it on our last couple of podcasts who the Marlins might be going after in different rounds. But at the top of the draft, uh, the biggest names that have been linked have been Vaughn from Cal. You've had Abrams out of high school. But J.J. Blade out of Vanderbilt uh, is currently playing in the SEC tournament. And four of the top people in the Marlins organization, and that was Mike Hill, Derek Jeter, Gary Denbo, and Jorge Posada, went out to Alabama to watch Blade in the SEC tournament. I know you tweeted that out. There was the picture mentioning that the, the four of them were out there watching Blade. And so what are you hearing in regards to J.J. Blade and, and what the Marlins are thinking about the outfielder from Vandy? Not an easy picture to acquire that quickly. And get that out there. <laughs> I, I will say that. It, the, the world that we live in is so amazing now that I am so fortunate to have contacts and be able to make contacts that within a 10-minute period of time to be able to have that and post it is really mm-hmm. insane so um but but anyway a, a story perhaps for another day <laughs> there's a couple of things that that we need to mention here first of all Blade got five hits yesterday 
So the, so the Marlins who, who went to see him in person, how can you make a better impression on a club than putting five hits together in the SEC tournament? I don't know. So that's number one. Number two, if we haven't heard enough about how involved Marlins CEO Derek Jeter is involved in the organization from top to bottom, I mean, this guy is traveling on the road to see who they're going to take yep. and weigh in on their first round. So everything that Derek Jeter says, there are some things that he said in the past that you can't agree with or you can't agree with. There is no argument whatsoever that very few chief operating officers of Major League Baseball are on the road. And you cannot tell me in any kind of cynical point of view that you wouldn't want arguably one of the greatest players in his position and a, and a guy who's going to be a oh, probably unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer to be in on that decision-making process to take a look at a kid like he was a kid when he played. Yep. So, I mean, you want him there. Jorge Posada, he's taking with him <laughs> on the road to see these players. And, of course, Gary Denbo's going to be there because he's a very big part of the decision-making process. And Mike Hill has been – involved in baseball for 30 years and, and he was a former player of course and, and look there'll be jokes about my kill and drafting and all that and I get it but you put these four men together to watch a kid play and you have to believe that there's a good chance that they're going to get this right I, I think I believe that so I think you have to have a lot of confidence in seeing that not and, and the, the point that I want to drive home here is not just with Derek Jeter traveling, but he took Posada with him. Right. Like, like, like Jorge Posada, by the way, is, I don't know if you would describe him like a homebody, but this guy, like he lives uh -huh. in, in my, in Carl Gables or Miami. I know he coached his kids and, and he had to be talked into taking the job a little bit. It was very important to Jeter and he got, and, and now he's going on the road with the team to scout <laughs> players. So I think they take that very seriously. Also, I can tell you that I don't think I'm done tweeting pictures because the road trip is going to continue mm. for the foursome, the fearless foursome here of the Miami Marlins, and they're going to continue to go on the road here. And so I'll try and scoop out some photos of wherever they end up next. It's, it's like a touch-and-go situation for me. I have to hear about it. I have to try and <laughs> find someone there, and I got to try and uh, get the photo. Right. But, but, or if that's important to people, I don't know. But either way, as, as this podcast of positivity continues – I think that you have to be supremely encouraged to have those uh, players there. And I think the other thing that I had heard, and this is without verification on this, but this is kind of diving in a little bit, is I believe that the Marlins' intent is at least with maybe their first two or three picks prior to the draft to meet with them individually also. Hmm. And I don't know how that gets accomplished, whether they fly them into South Florida, if that's even allowed. Like, I mean, Lede's playing the SEC tournament. I don't, right. I, I don't know the dynamics of that, but it is my understanding that they are attempting to speak to individuals one-on-one, -on -one too, similar to an, an NFL draft setup. And I don't know if that is standard for baseball or how it is, but I know that they are trying to do that. So uh, a completely different view for me on the upcoming draft maybe than I have had in, in decades with this team. And that's not to say that they haven't done well because they did produce JT Real Muto, Giancarlo Stanton, and Christian Yelich, and Jose Fernandez. And, and that's certainly has to go in the pocket of Stan Meek, who ran that for a long time. But there, there did come a point where, where the draft started falling apart. 
and they have now taken this by the reins and they've sent in the, arguably the most important people in the organization, maybe save for Dan Greeley, maybe Dan Greeley somewhere else in the country. I don't even know. Um, and DJ Svillick. So wh who knows what's happening, right. but I'm trying to update this as much as I can. And I know for an absolute fact that the road trip will continue. So we'll see if we can continue to find out where <laughs> they are next. I'll follow this if I can right up until the draft and tell you guys every day and every night who they're seeing and what they're looking at. I just don't know that, that I can pull it off every night like I did yesterday. That was, uh, I don't know even how, <laughs> how, I, how I pulled that off. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing when I saw you tweet it out. Just like, how, how, did, you, how did you know? Well, how did you, you know, that's what we do happening. here. That's yeah. what we do here. I, I work with you, and I'm still confused as to how this is happening. You should have uh, seen, seen the texts that, that I was getting and sending back and forth. You wouldn't believe it. Like, uh, I, need, I need this, and I need it now. What? <laughs> like uh okay well tell him to do this or is she there or or you know can we move around it's but that that that's kind of the rush that that i get from being able to to cover the team and be able to do the things i do i never take that for granted by the way ever with the access and the information that i get and that's why when people from my good friends in Atlanta and my good friends in St. Louis. And, and I think that baseball fans that follow me across the country, I think they respect that about me because first of all, I don't take it all that seriously. I try to have fun with this, Jeremy, as you know, right. on, on these things and other things, but I do very much respect the opportunity that I have to cover a major league baseball team. So regardless if the Marlins are 30th in attendance and 30th in record, there's only 30 of these teams. And do I dream and say, wow, like, I wonder what this would be like if I had this access and yeah. I was able to do this in St. Louis? Of course, that's natural. Or if I was in New York, like, wow, it would be different. I, I get it. But I'm not doing this for the short term. I'm, I'm kind of in this for the long haul, too, hoping that in two or three years from now that the access and the information continues to a point where our podcast and information on the Marlins becomes as important as a top 10 or top 15 team in major league baseball. I don't know that it'll ever get that way, but you got to start somewhere. And if I'm not going to be here on the ground floor covering the team as they build from the ground up, then how can I be expected to gain access and trust in two years or three years when the Marlins end up being good? So we'll continue to deliver that. And I don't take it for granted for one day. I feel honored regardless of the fun that's being poked at me sometimes mm -hmm. that I, that I cover the team. I really enjoy it. Well, trust me, I'm, I have the exact same feeling uh, getting the opportunity to be involved and, and get to cover this team. And, and who knows, maybe one day we'll be covering J.J. Bleday, right? I mean, at least uh, not just from afar, getting pictures sent to us through text messages and then putting them on Twitter, maybe actually covering J.J. Bleday in a Miami Maybe, Marlins. maybe. I don't know that that is the route that, that they're going to go, but I would have to imagine if this is the one look that these four, and I'm going to guess that there's there been people scouting him, of course, all season long at Vanderbilt for sure, within the Marlins organization. But if you're going to put the president of the team, Mike Hill, and you're going to put the vice president of the team in Gary Denbo, and then take arguably one of the great catchers over the last 20, 25 years, Jorge Posada, and the CEO of the team, and put them in a place and say, what are you looking for? And then the guy goes out and gets five hits in front of you. It's amazing. I mean, I would think that there's what a the chance they may not get him and somebody else would read him because, <laughs> because again, I didn't get a photo of, uh, of Mike Elias in Baltimore. I don't know right. if he was there or not. Uh, I'll have to ask, find out about that. But, 
but he but they're there in person i would think they would come away from that going okay yep that's our guy yep, <laughs> I would think. yep. and it's a one game sample and you don't want to make too much of it but they didn't make that trip for optics they made that trip to scout the player so uh, I, I at this point you have to make Blade the favorite right Marlins after that I would think. right my wonder is is did he realize before the game that they were there like did he know before that game yeah, and yeah. then step Good up question. and go yeah all right five hits today like it's that great, it's a great question oh what a cool what a cool um experience for him to be or vice versa he doesn't know they're there finds out after the game and it's oh oh man look at that I got five hits today that's got to feel pretty good so uh, either way, pretty cool story. But before we wrap up here, we, we will have an interview. Uh, Tony Capabianco interviewed Jordan Holloway down at Single A. But before we get to that, any last news and notes before we wrap up here on the Marlins based off of this five-game win streak? Something I did not think I would be saying on this podcast for quite a while. Yeah, it's it, the dynamic of baseball is so funny. Major League Baseball makes every attempt in the month of April and even into May to put teams in solid weather places at home. Mm -hmm. And so the Marlins have a huge advantage at the beginning of the season by playing in their home park and did not take advantage of it at all. <laughs> like that, like that's the ironic part of this. And right. so with the team playing as well as they are in, I would guess in the Marlins heart of hearts, they'll take it. But with, this would be a great time to open up a 10-game homestand, you know, like, like coming off after this. And unfortunately, they're going to go to Washington. They'll come back and have three games against San Francisco. Then they go back out on the road again. Right. So I, I certainly am curious to see if there will be more home support next week when they play the Giants next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I'm also curious because now I think that the, the players have at least done their job showing that the team is watchable right. and showing that the team, that the games are attendable. You know, I mean, this is, remember we talked about last week, bringing in iPads and phones to watch the minor league games from fans yeah. is, is an unacceptable proposition. Right. And now that things have uh, turned, as Joe Frazzaro would say, they're turning. <laughs> maybe now is the time. Uh, it would be great to have them open up or have, have them play a bunch of home games, Jeremy, but unfortunately no they got three games at home so i'll go to the giants games next week and then they're back out on the road and then uh, and then you know june will be really interesting because then the trades will start let's let's call it how it is here mm -hmm. as good as the marlins are going to play they're not going to the postseason uh they they got off they dug themselves uh, too big of a hole to get out of even to be competitive that's not to say that the games can't be competitive but our focus for sure once we hit july is going to be who they're going to trade I mean, there's no doubt it'll be who the marlins all-star is going to be and at this point it seems pretty obvious it's caleb smith right and and the all-star game will be in cleveland he'll end up there and also yeah the trades that they're going to make at the trade deadline and will they trade arania romo walker and and if they can get lucky maybe curtis granderson could rebuild some value and then what the second half of the season will look at so i uh, hope everybody has a very happy memorial day if the Marlins keep winning, I'll keep tweeting in Spanish. I love it. And that. also know this, that once the Marlins lose, if they do end up losing, okay, the the the, uh, the Espanol, mean they're not going to go 131? No, and it's going to stop. It's, it's, I'm going to stop. But I assure you that when they hit a skid like they did again, we will bring it back 
and bring them right back out of the slump that they had. But they don't need me to, to go two and three or three and one. Mm-hmm. When they don't win a game for a week and don't score a game for a week, then we got to bring back the Spanish tweets. But for now, we'll continue to see if this keeps rolling. As long as it keeps rolling, after the games, I'll do the same thing. And then once it ends and the streak ends, we'll find something else. It's, it's Spanish tweets and, and rants apparently on the podcast because they also haven't lost since our last podcast. So now that we're releasing this one, let's see if we jinx it. Anyway... Uh, that was a great episode, Greg. I really enjoyed all the extra information. And now we will hear from Tony Campobianco with Jordan Holloway. your draft experience like uh i mean like going through the draft profit process i had a lot of um interest from a lot of different teams and it was it was a blessing you know i talked to almost every single team in my house with my parents and it was such a cool experience i had a lot of scouts you know come out and watch me um pitch and it was crazy because i was such a late bloomer that like it kind of just came out of nowhere all of a sudden like there's 10 people calling me every night like what are you doing like how are you doing i'm so and so and i was like what the heck is going on like it just became super crazy all of a sudden and, um, you know, and uh, I went through the draft process. I didn't get picked up. And then all of a sudden I was like, hey, the Marlins, uh, my agent called me, my advisor at the time called me. And um, he was like, the, uh, the Marlins want to take you in the 20th round for so-and-so money. Do you want to do it? And I was like, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I talked to my parents. My mom, especially my dad, was a little more baseball with me because we grew up playing. Like, like me and my dad are like best friends. Um, and we were like, you know, we always we were sports, sports, sports with my dad. And my mom was always there too but it was like me and my dad really hit it hard with like baseball and stuff and just loved playing it loved being around it and she was like I want you to go to school I want you to get an education obviously that's important I think it still is important but I was like they gave me the college package and um she was like with that I understand and I want you to follow your dreams because I never got the opportunity to she's like so go and have fun and play baseball and do what you want to do live your life the way you want to live it so I mean I took it I was 17 years old at the time and I turned 18 like a few days later and I flew down to Florida and five now it's five years already yeah, worst case scenario, you can just go back to college. Yeah, that. that's what she was like. She was like, I mean, college is always going to be there. Baseball won't be. What's, um, what was the college if you weren't going to – if you weren't going to get drafted, mm-hmm. what was the college you were probably going I committed to, to um, the University of Nebraska-Omaha first, uh-huh. and then I also – kind of dual committed because it was a JUCO as well. I think you were allowed you were allowed to go you could go D one or whatever division and then you could do like a junior college. So I went um Central Arizona. And then I decommitted from uh, Central or the University of Nebraska Nebraska Omaha and I was like I'm just gonna go to a junior college first and get that done with. And um I decommitted and I was gonna go to that junior college and then, you know, I obviously at the end of that, um I ended up going to play with the Marlins instead. Yeah, when you were here um you spend, you spend a year in Greensboro, mm-hmm. had your time to jump at the same time as Braxton Garrett. Mm-hmm. It was almost like baseball's infirmary version of Step Brothers. Right? Yeah. How was that bond? Well, it was, it was weird. So first, I was in Greensboro, and I ended up getting, I think I got, I ended up like hurting my tricep or something the year before. So I, it was like around like July or end of July, like August of 2015, maybe 16, 2016. And I came down here, and I briefly met him. Um, he was in the GCL. And I, he got shut down. Um, they didn't let him throw, I don't believe. And he was just, like, kind of doing his thing. We played catch, didn't really talk him, you know. I feel like I was a little older than him, even though, like, the age gap is, like, one year, literally on the dot by, like, two months. He was born in August. I was born in June. It's, like, one year. And I was like, yeah, he's just a GCL kid, you know. It was like, he seems like a cool guy, whatever. Um, and then we 
we went through the whole year, and then we went to Greensboro. He came up from uh, instructs in or uh, extended. He was an extended for a little bit, and then we kind of got to know each other a little bit. Like started become becoming like acquaintances, like friends. Like started to talk, hang out outside of the field, play catch, and all that stuff. And then when he got hurt, <clears throat> I texted him a week later, and I was like, "Hey, do you have a roommate?" Because I got hurt too, and I essentially I blew my elbow out, and so like so did he, and we both ended up getting surgery. So it was nice, like. Like, all right, well, well, at least I can go into this with somebody. And then he turns out to be, like, you know, one of my best friends with my brother. Now, two years later, and we live together here, work out together, do everything together now still. So. Now, I asked him, I had an interview with him a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, like, do you still, you're a first-round pick. Do you still catch up with or see, like, who, who your other members of your draft class doing? Mm-hmm. They pass, still behind. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't do that but told me that you sometimes will tell him anyways just as a way to piss him off like that. no it's not to piss him off I think I'm just like I'm always intrigued by like how people are doing uh, I think it's awesome you know it's never like it's never like bashing anybody or it's just it's seeing people be successful it's fun to see um, I always say things I'm like did you see this it's more it's it's always with like our friends and stuff he's like I don't want to talk about that we're in hurt we're hurt it's just gonna make me mad and irritated that I'm not playing but it, like for me I was like I'm always interested it never like hit me like the he 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 deleted the app he's like I'm not even gonna look at it stuff so I was always interested it didn't never really like kind of connected with me where I was like irritated it sucked obviously still but it wasn't a big deal for me so I'd always give him a hard time obviously because that's what brothers do that's what best friends do and stuff it was always fun though it was what, never bad what was the hardest part of the whole rehab thing because the surgery you mean surgery my whole life goal is to not get surgery. Yeah. So far, so good. But like, just like that year and a half of just rehab. Um, I think uh, the hardest part was just the monotony of it. Uh, just day in and day out doing the same thing, waking up at the same time, not getting to do things that uh, normal teammates do, not being around an actual clubhouse, an actual team. You know, it's just a few of us just hurt together. Um, it just got really boring really quick. You just have to find a way to kind of like get some hobbies and like I don't know, just find the best way to get through each day and then days kind of turned into weeks and it just kind of went by it wasn't you know anything bad it just got very boring most of the time and lastly um how's this year been for you you got a pretty good good year already more strikeouts than any pitch mm-hmm. almost better now than you did before yeah um i think i think getting hurt was a blessing in disguise uh just so i could figure out um what i needed to do on and off the field uh, in the weight room and stuff to get better and stronger and so I could get my mechanics in line, so I could be healthier on the and stay on the mound as much as possible and through a whole year. Um, I think it's awesome so far. This year has been great. You know, I'm just gonna try to go out there on the mound and get a win for my team every single time I go out there. And sometimes I'm not, and sometimes I am. Um, just kind of just go through the ups and downs and stay as even kill as possible. And just you know, uh, at the end of the year, just be happy that I got back on the mound and I got through a whole year after Tommy John.